Well, good morning. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. I don't know about you, but I rejoice at what I'm seeing happening across our nation as we see revival breaking out. How many of y'all are enjoying hearing all about that? We're praying that it will take place here as well. Now, I do have an announcement for you today. Our missions conference is next week, and we are so excited. It's going to begin on Saturday, February 25th with a dinner uh, with our guest speaker, Dr. Al Jackson. We'll also have our partners from South Asia and our partners from Zambia will be in the room with us. And uh, so we are looking forward to that. I do want you to know that today is the last day to buy a ticket to come to that dinner. And the reason we're doing tickets is because of space is limited. It covers just uh, your food. We have, I think we have 37 tickets available at this point. So I want you to know, like to go to the go table at the end, you can purchase a ticket to be a part of that. We also have Sunday morning, we're going to have our missions time in the morning. We will not have life group, though we will meet in here together. And we will have our partners from uh, overseas, from Zambia and from South Asia that will be sharing with you so that you can hear about the ministry and, and what we are doing um, in those areas. And then Dr. Al Jackson will be speaking on Sunday morning. And then we will also have on Wednesday night, we will have all of our local partnerships. We'll, we'll be spotlighting some of those. Some of our members who are, are serving in those areas will be sharing on Wednesday night. But we'll also have uh, our Alaskan pastor who is uh, who we're partnering with and also uh, from New Orleans, uh, Byron will be here. And they'll both be sharing with you about the partnership that we have. So what I'm really excited about is the four partnerships, all of them will be here on Sunday and Wednesday. So you'll have an opportunity to meet and to see them. And because they're all here, we want to have a meet and greet time. And if you'll show that slide up for me, on Sunday, February 26th at 6 p.m., you can come and, and our South Asia partnerships will be here for you to have a meet and greet. Let me just say this. Some of you may say, well, I don't know if I'm ever called to go to South Asia. Well, that's okay. You can come, learn about the ministry, and also learn how you can pray um, and learn about the partnership that we have. So this is not simply for somebody who feels like maybe they're supposed to go to South Asia or not. It's for all the body of Christ that would like to come and hear more about what's happening in South Asia. On Monday, February 27th, we'll have our Zambia partnerships here at 6 p.m. The same thing. You don't have to say, David, I feel called. I don't feel called to Zambia, so uh, do I need to come? No, you can still come and be a part and hear all that's happening. Wednesday, March 1st, we're going to have our local ministries, including New Orleans. And then on Thursday, March 2nd, our uh, pastor from Alaska will be here in town, and he will be having a meet and greet as well. Now, we do hope that all of our uh, Alaskan mission trip team would be there, but also it's for everybody to come and, and be a part to hear uh, what is taking place. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin this morning. Father, you are, you are so good, and we praise your holy name. Father, as we come into this place, we rejoice in what we're hearing across our nation. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be in tune to what you are speaking today. Father, we recognize that we here at Luke 418 cannot create revival, but we can put ourselves in a place for revival. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? 
who does not swear by what is false or, or lift up his soul to an idol. So Father, I pray that we would come in today repenting of our sin, removing the distractions that keep us from hearing your word today, walking in obedience of your truth, Father, we know you're here. We don't have to ask you to show up for where two or more are gathered. There you will be. But Father, I do pray that our eyes would be on you. Not on what we're going to do this afternoon. Not on our lunch plans. But that our eyes would be on you. That we would have the words as Samuel said. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So, Father, speak to us today as we worship you in spirit and in truth. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us today. If you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to fill out the card in the seat back pocket right in front of you and put it in one of those offering boxes back there. We'd love for you to get a little bit more information about Luke 418 Fellowship. But let's stand together. Why don't you welcome someone around you and we're going to sing about the victory that we have in Christ today. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning of his precious blood told me and I repented of my sin and won the victory oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory sing it out today oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee. 
God, for thy spirit of life, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Sing it out. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Amen. And we ask to revive us again so that we can do that good work that He has given us to accomplish. And when we're faced with uncertainty, we can have faith in Him that He will fight for us. When all I see is the battle, You see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see the mountain move and as i walk through the shadows your love surrounds me there's nothing to fear now for i say with you so when i find I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? Nobody. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Thank you, God. God, you see the empty tomb. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty oh, fortress, 
You go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Sing it again. And no sing that chorus one more time so when I fight in a spirit of prayer let's sing this together so when I fight I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high oh God the battle belongs to you and every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you. You may be seated as we continue in worship. Amen. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus And I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom, I speak Jesus, cause your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life, break every stronghold, shine through the shadows. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by oppression. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. 
from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Amen, you sing with us today Shout Jesus Shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are our God. We know that you are so powerful, so mighty, and yet so gracious and so merciful to us. We thank you for your word that has given us example after example to follow of your faithfulness we just pray, Lord, do it again. We pray that we would see you move in a mighty way through this congregation, through the works that you have given us as the body of Christ to do together. We worship you. You're our God. You're our Savior. You're our friend. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Savior, now God, you are 
It was an incredible song, but when they said, I'm calling on the Holy Spirit, and that last line, I got what I call Holy Ghost goosebumps. You know, today we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we, we talked about worry and anxiety, and I told you that that was part one of part two of a two part message on this. 
Last week, I wanted you to get so overwhelmed by who our God is. I pray that throughout this week, you kept thinking on the fact that our God is creator. That he's sovereign. That he's provider. That we can call him our father. That he's compassionate. That he has mercy and grace and love. And we could go on and on and on about who our God is. And I hope that you were overwhelmed, not by your circumstances this week, but by who your father, your heavenly father is. And this week... I pray that you get overwhelmed, not simply by who he is, but also all that he says and does. See, faith and trust is believing in who God is and believing that he can do that which he said that he will do. You know, I was just sitting down here as we were worshiping, as we were singing, and I just started getting overwhelmed by the things that we see throughout God's scripture of what he has done and showed us his faithfulness. Church, we we begin just in the Old Testament, and what do we see in the Old Testament? But God is faithful to the covenant of Abraham. He says, listen, you're going to bless all nations through you. Why? Because Jesus, the Messiah, came through that lineage. We saw Joseph and how God was with him through the trials and all the situations to protect the nation of Israel in the midst of a drought. We saw Moses, how God parted the Red Sea and let his people go from from slavery. And how when they wandered in the, the desert, he provided for them. We saw Joshua that when they went into the, to the, the, the promised land, God split the, 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 the river of Jericho. I mean, not a Jericho, of Jordan. And the walls of Jericho fell down. We saw Gideon defeat an army with just a small group of people. We saw uh, David defeat Goliath with just a few rocks. We saw Jonathan, Saul's son, and his armor bearer go into the camp, and God brings about a confusion on the camp. We see God's faithfulness all throughout the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament with Mary. When God says to her, hey, you're going to, you're going to conceive and, and you're a virgin. And you're going to give birth and his name is going to be Jesus. The long-awaited Messiah. Church, we see God's faithfulness in, in Jesus going all the way to the cross though he didn't deserve it. We see his faithfulness when the Holy Spirit said, come forth from the grave. And he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave We saw his faithfulness in in Peter's life that though he was scared and fearful, but when the power of God fell upon him at Pentecost, he went forth proclaiming the gospel with reckless abandonment. We saw his faithfulness in, in Saul's life that though he was a murderer, though he was one who was willing to persecute the church, he had a Damascus Road experience and God's faithfulness opened his eyes and he had a life changing transformation. We see God's faithfulness in the first church that they went forth and even in the midst of persecution and suffering, God was with them and they said, consider our suffering, consider the threats against us and give us boldness and confidence to proclaim the truth. Church, I pray you get overwhelmed by what God has done in and through the Old Testament and the New Testament and I pray you get overwhelmed in what God is doing today in the life of believers.
Because when we get overwhelmed by what God is doing and, and who he is and what he says he will do, then the circumstances of life will fade into the background. When our eyes are focused on our God, our circumstances become so small. As I've shared with you multiple times, these, these mountains actually turn into molehills instead of molehills turning into mountains. Because in the face of our God, our circumstances have no choice but to, to fall on its face before holy God. When the enemy says he comes against us and, and we look to God and God alone, he's our power, he's our strength, the enemy has to flee in, in the presence of our God. Church, we just sing about this. We just sang about how we fight on our knees with our hands lifted high. Why do we lift our hands? Not out of, hey, look at me, I'm lifting my hands. We lift our hands because it's a sign of surrender. This is what you would do if, if somebody came in threatening your life and, and, and you wanted to show, hey, listen, like I surrender. Or if, or if the police told you to put your hands up, why? It's because it's a place of surrender. Church, we raise our, whole, our hands in worship. Why? Because of surrender before God saying, you are who you say you are. You can do that which you say you do. And I am surrendering my life before you. You want anxiety? You want worry to fade away? You must truly have faith in God and God alone. We pick up in Matthew 6, 30-34. Sorry, all of that was when I was sitting here and we were just worshiping. So if I'm late today, I apologize. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30 through 34. We, we went over this last week, but I want to kind of have a follow-up to this. It says, But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says, You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will you eat, what will you drink, or what will you wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. And Lord, I just praise your holy name. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And Lord, I pray you would sit me on the front row and let me hear and walk in obedience of all that you are speaking today. Father, I'm but a vessel. Pour out your word in and through me today, Father. And may we have eyes to see, ears to hear that which you are speaking into our lives. And may we walk in obedience of your truth. If we truly believe it, if we're walking in faith, there will be an act of obedience that comes forth from that. And so, Father, we just ask right now that you would move mightily in our hearts. Holy Spirit, let a fresh wind fire fall down, a consuming fire that would consume the, the, the flesh in our life, that we would look more like Jesus. Father, we love you and praise you, for it's in your holy name. Amen. Church, when we look at the last part of chapter 6, there's four things I want you to see today. I don't know if we'll get to them all, but I'm going to share with you. The first thing I want us to see is this statement that is spoken many times by Jesus in the New Testament. And he says this. He says in verse 30, But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says this, You of little faith. You have little faith. Now, I want us to look at this idea of little faith and what is Jesus speaking in this moment? 
We must understand first that we know what faith is according to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It gives us a great definition. And any time that you need a definition, if it's in the Bible, you've got the definition right there. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is trusting the assurance, trusting in who God says he is, and that will show through your obedience and action. Listen, when you have assurance, you will act upon that assurance. When you have assurance, you would act upon that assurance. So faith is trusting, but there's also an action that comes forth with it. The Bible even tells us in James 1, you don't have to flip there in your Bible, but it talks about how we encounter various trials and it's a testing of your faith. When we go through difficult circumstances of life, when we go through pain and suffering, when we go through all these things, it's a testing of our faith. It shows us our faith. If we walk through that in fear and worry and, and, oh my, I can't believe all of this, it shows us where our faith is. But when we walk through those trials and tribulations and suffering and we have joy, not in the suffering, but in our heart and peace, knowing that God is with us in the suffering, it's not, oh, I'm so joyful that I have suffering in my life. But we are joyful and have peace because the God who is the creator, who's sovereign, who uh, is our provider, our protector, who's compassionate, who's gracious, who's loving, who's all-powerful, he's with us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. Church, I believe that when we encounter circumstances in our life, it shows us our faith. Now, I want to note something in this passage. Jesus did not say, you have no faith. He said, you have little faith. So in some sense, this is a comforting statement more than a rebuke. Because what he's speaking, remember, he's speaking the Sermon on the Mount to believers. He says to them, I'm speaking to those who are poor in spirit. I'm speaking to those who are mourning over their sin. Remember the Beatitudes? I'm speaking to those who are gentle. I'm speaking to those um, who are, are persecuted for righteousness. And in this moment, he says that when you worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will put on, in this moment, he's saying, you have little faith. Now, praise God that he's not saying you have no faith. So what's the difference between little and no faith? Well, that's pretty simple. One who has no faith would be a non-believer. They don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, which also means in turn they don't trust his words. For one who has no faith would be one who says, Jesus is not for me. He's not truly the Savior of the world. I want nothing to do with him. But one who has little faith is one who recognizes that he has no way of saving himself. That salvation can only be found in Christ and Christ alone. He has faith in Jesus as Savior, but he's battling with the trust in his daily life. Let me just say that again. They have trust and faith in Jesus as Savior, but they're battling with this trust issue in their daily life. They trust Him for the things that are out of control, 
out of their control, like salvation. How many of you know today you have no ability to save yourself? And so it's easy. You say, listen, Jesus saved us through death, burial, and resurrection, right? Praise God for the sacrifice. But then we have things in our life that we feel like we have control over. And so when he says you have little faith, it's like saying, hey guys, listen, you're trusting me as Savior, but you're struggling with trusting me in your daily life. Now, I've shared with you before, if we can trust God with our eternal salvation, we can trust him with everything else. Because nothing is bigger than our eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, See, Jesus is saying here that your faith will have action. And those of little faith are those who are struggling with the action of trusting in God's sovereignty. Trusting in His provision and trusting in His protection and trusting that He knows what's best in our life. We see two areas in the scripture about little faith. And I want to just kind of compare for a moment little faith and those of a childlike faith or those who are walking in faith. We saw this last week of the disciples that were on the boat and what happened? A storm rose up and they were fearful and they went and they woke Jesus up and they said, hey, we're perishing, we're going to die. And Jesus says, you have little faith. He says that because they didn't act upon the faith that Jesus was the creator, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is over all things. They woke him up and he said, you have little faith. And then he calms the storm. And what happens? Well, their faith grew real quick. They fell on their face and they said, whoa, like, look, even the winds obey him. We see here in this passage, there's a lack of faith. In, uh, or little faith, excuse me, when they lack action by worrying about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll have or your needs. See, we must act upon the fact that God is provider and not worry about those things. But those who don't act upon their faith, that Jesus is provider, he's saying that, that this is of little faith. But then we see those who are faithful in the scripture. In Hebrews 11, verse Well, really the whole chapter. But in verse 4, 7, and 8, we see three people. We see Abel. And I want you to see in verse 4 what it says about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Now we know the story, right, of the sacrifice of Abel and Cain. But I want you to see that very first line. By what? Faith, Abel offered. By faith, there was an action. Look at the next verse, in verse uh, 7. It says this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. By faith, Noah prepared. By faith, there was an action. By faith that God is who he says he is, and that by faith that what God said is going to happen is going to happen, Noah said, you know what? I need to build an ark. Because God called me to. Oh, what about Abraham in verse 8? By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. There's an action. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By going out of the place which he was to receive for an inheritance. I, I love the story of Abraham. Abraham leaves safety, security, and everything that he knew to follow God's promise. Not knowing where he was going. By faith. He obeyed. What about in Matthew 8? 
In Matthew 8, there's the Roman centurion, and, and Jesus makes this statement. He says, I haven't seen anybody who has this kind of faith. Why? Well, let's look at it real quickly. In verse 5 through 10, And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearful and tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those, truly I say to you, I have found no such, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Why? Because he believed that Jesus was who he said he was and could do that which he said he could do. And he believed that Jesus didn't even have to go under the roof. He could simply say the words. And what happened? The the, the person was healed. When he got home, he found the person healed. Why? Because he had faith and he trusted and he put action to that. Now, let me just be clear. Action is not that you have, you don't have action in order to show that you're a Christian or to be a Christian. It's not like, okay, I've got to make sure that I show my action of faith so that I can prove that I'm a believer or to earn salvation. No, we have action in our faith because we believe that God is who he says he is and we trust in his promises. If we trust in his promises, actions are going to come forth from that because we're overwhelmed by who he is and what he says. When I was living in Illinois, I got there and they told me, they said, David, we don't have bad winters up here. And then that that winter we had the worst one in many, many, many years. But there was always a silver lining to that and that was that one of our youth parents had a pond in their backyard. And that pond froze over and so I got all the students together and we met up and we played what we called broom hockey we had hockey golds on both sides and we kept our shoes on and we were running on the ice using brooms hitting a ball around trying to get it into the 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 back of the net and I'm going to tell you it was one of the most fun or funnest however you say that most fun one of the most fun events I've I've ever had We laughed until we hurt because people were sliding on the ice and all this stuff. But here's what's interesting. When we got there, we had uh, the 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 person who owned the, the pond and myself, we drilled down to make sure that it was thick enough for them to get on the ice. But when the kids got there, there was three responses. There was those who heard me say, Hey, it's safe, and they ran out on the ice. Now, when they run out on the ice, it was really funny. But then there were those that were like, okay, I hear you, David. I trust you. I don't know. And then there were those who were like, Mm-mm, I don't even trust you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sitting over here by the fire. Y'all have fun. Church, when we see this, there was three represent, or reactions that show really that faith. The first group were those that had that childlike faith. I trust David. I trust that he would have done what he needed to do to make sure that it's safe. And if he tells me it's safe, it's safe. And I'm going out there and I'm going to have a wonderful time. Then there were those that were like, I trust David, but 
I trust David, but, but, but I have fear and I'm worried. Like, did he really do what he needs to do to check to make sure? And then there were those that had no faith and said, you know what, I'm good. And can I tell you, the ones who had no faith missed out on the whole event. They're watching us having a wonderful time, enjoying this idea, this moment of of playing on the ice and broom hockey and all this stuff, and they missed out. They sat over there saying, I really want to be out there with them, but I'm fearful and I just don't trust. Church, we see that today. We see that as we look around. There are those who have a childlike faith. They say, God, I trust you. I'm in complete uh, just awe of who you are. I'm overwhelmed by what you say and your promises and I fall on my face and wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. I'm not going to fear what man can do to me because I know who my God is. But then there's those that have this little faith and they say, listen, thank you for saving me. But I'm battling with this idea of giving full control of all things. And then there's those who say, I want nothing to do with Jesus. You may say, David, I, I, I often have little faith in my life and I'm struggling with this. And, and, and what do I need to do? How, how can I fix this in my life? Well, we'll get to this in a minute. But I want to share with you a passage in Mark 9. In Mark 9, I think that this helps give some clarity or things that we can do to help us grow in our faith. It says this in, in, in Mark 9, that, well, let me just kind of give you the background. There was a guy who had a child that was possessed. And the, de- the deacons, the <laughs> disciples, couldn't cast it out. And so it says this in verse 14 of chapter 9 of Mark. It says, they brought the boy to him. When he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And look at what the father says. But if you can do anything. Take pity on us and help us. You know, I'm concerned that sometimes that's our cry to God. But God, if you can. But if you can. Listen, the dad, the father, had faith enough to bring the boy to Jesus. He had faith enough to say, I'm going to bring the child to Jesus. But then he says, but if you can. And look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, if you can... Question mark? All things are possible to him who believes. And then the father makes this statement that I love. And I think that we all need to hear this statement. In the next verse, in verse 25, he says this. He says, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Church, you sit here and you say, David, I struggle with with." living out in faith in my day-to-day life and, and giving up control. I think that it's time that we say as a church, as individuals, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Church, this father said, I believe that Jesus is, and so I'm going to bring my son to him. But then he said, if you can, help him. Church, which of those kids from... Illinois, are you one who has no faith? 
one that has little faith or one that has a childlike faith? Continues on in this passage and we see first that Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And then he says in verse 31, do not worry what then do not worry then saying, what will you eat or what will you drink or what will you wear for clothing for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. What he says here is that you're going to reflect the Gentiles or you're going to reflect being a child of God. You're either going to reflect the Gentiles or you're going to reflect being a child of God. Now let me just tell you that when you see the word Gentiles in this passage, you can actually change that to the word heathens, non-believers. You can either reflect through your faith the Gentiles, the non-believers, or you can reflect through your faith being a child of the living God. The Gentiles worry. They worry because they have no reason for living. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the only purpose that you have in this life is to enjoy every moment, store up as much stuff and get as much stuff as you can, and try to protect it until your last breath. That's all you got. If you don't know Jesus as your, as your Lord and Savior, then, then you better live your best life now. You better try to to enjoy every moment because after this life, when you breathe your last, it says those who have trampled over the blood of Jesus, those who have not believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it says that there will be eternal punishment in a place called hell. See, the Gentiles worry about all these things because they have no purpose, no reason, no, no, no purpose for living. So so Jesus is saying to them, don't be like the Gentiles. You have a purpose. You have a reason for living. You're a child of the living God. Church, I want to ask today, what do you reflect in the way you live your life? Do you reflect being a child of God that you have a heavenly father that loves you, that cares for you, that's greater than all things, that will fight your battles for you, who's provider, who's protector, who has given his own son to die on the cross that you could be made right with him? Is that what you reflect or do we reflect a weak God like the Gentiles? Do we reflect a God that we can trust in all areas or do we reflect a God that we doubt? Do we reflect a God who we believe is in control of all things? Or do we reflect a God who has very little control? Do we reflect a God that has your best interest in mind? Or do we reflect a God who doesn't really care? Church, the way that we live our life in faith, trusting and believing that God is who he is, who he says he is, and trusting and believing that God will do that which he said he would do, shows the world whether you're a child of God or whether you're reflecting the Gentiles. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, he says, walk worthy of the calling. He says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. For those who went through Ephesians for a year with us, you'll remember that Ephesians 4 starts the doing in Christ. So when that word therefore, when, if you circle that in Ephesians 4.1, it goes back to everything that he said in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul has told us who we are in Christ. That we are chosen, that we're forgiven, that we have an inheritance, that we're sealed by the Spirit. 
That we once were children of the enemy, but now we are children of God by His grace. He has just, he has just expounded for three chapters on who God is and who we are in Christ. And then He says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk in a manner worthy of that which Jesus gave His life for. Walk in a manner worthy to show people who your God is. I pray that when people see the faith that you have in God, not just in salvation, but in every day, every aspect of your life, that people will say, I want to know who your God is. That I want to know because the way you're living your life, you are confident in Him. That people say, who is your God? You know, I shared with you about the broom hockey on the ice Those with little faith were kind of like, you know, kind of putting their foot on the ice a little bit, trying to, you know, see. And I was like, listen, the ice is going to be thicker over there than the middle. Just don't go to the middle. But you know what happened? It was interesting. Those with little faith started seeing those with childlike faith, running around on the ice, having a great time. And guess what happened with those with little faith? They saw that they were reflecting that they had faith and trust in what I had told them. They began to see that I was truthful in what I had shared with them. And they began to grow in their faith and walked out onto the ice. Even a few of the people who said, nope, don't trust you. Sitting over here by the fire, I'm going to roast a marshmallow. They saw what was happening. And they said, you know what? I can trust And one or two of these came over and said, I'm going to go out there. Now, they were hesitant at first. Still, after 30 minutes of seeing people running around, they were like, "Mm, okay. And then they got out there. Next thing you knew, they were having a wonderful time just like everybody else. Church, when we reflect the fact that we are a child of the living God, the living God, the great I am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the all-powerful, none is bigger, none is greater than our God, then people start saying, first off, those who have little faith start saying, man, I truly can trust in all my daily life. And they start walking out on that ice. And those who don't know Christ start saying, I want to know what you believe in. I want to know who your God is. Church, I pray that we have a childlike faith, that we reflect who our Father is and not live a life like the Gentiles. Even Paul continues in Ephesians 4, this this idea when he says in Ephesians 4, look at just verse 17. It says this, So I say and affirm together with you, with the Lord, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walked. Church, we've been changed. Our hearts have been transformed. We have the Holy Spirit that we just sang and said, Holy Spirit, come and, and, and just breathe over us and let a breath of God just, just come into this place. And we cried out to Him. And let me tell you, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within us. We no longer walk like the Gentiles. Now in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul is specifically talking about the actions that they're taking. But let me tell you, we're also not to worry and fret and and fear like the Gentiles because we're a child of the living King of God. He continues on in this passage and he says this in verse 32. 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Church, we talked about this last week. Our Father knows our needs. Your Father knows your needs. The question is, do you truly believe that? Do you truly trust that? Are you willing to say, Father, I'm going to step out because I know that you're my provider. I was reminded of college students that were choosing their college and their career based on where they could go and be a light in a city. Instead of saying, hey, I want to know where I'm going to get the most money, I'm going to have the best opportunities to be promoted, I want to know, Father, where you want me to be, that I can be the light in that city. Trusting God to be their provider for their needs, even accepting jobs that weren't paying as much as they could have gotten in another city because their focus was on eternal things and not on temporal I was talking to Byron just, just yesterday in New Orleans, or two days ago in New Orleans. And he said, you know what we need? There's a lot of needs, and we talked about them, and things we're going to help with, and we'll share that with you next week. But he said, you know what one of the needs we, we have is for people that would be willing to move to New Orleans. He said, whoa, <laughs> whoa. You know, New Orleans is like number one for crime right now. David, that's not safe. Let me tell you something, if God's calling you to go be a missionary there, he will be your protector and your provider. He knows your needs. Can I just remind you that when we start sitting here justifying why we're not walking in faith, it's because we're not trusting what God has said in his word. You say, David, that's unsafe. Well, if God's calling you, the safest place you can be is in the will of God. You know, I, I was sitting there and I was thinking about uh, an opportunity of a mission trip that I went on that, that it wasn't the safest place in the whole world. But I finally came to the conclusion that it's a lot safer for me to be there in God's will than to be right here in Mobile. Think about that for a moment. Think about Jonah. Jonah was like, man, it's a lot safer for me to go to Tarshish. I, I'm not going to Nineveh. And he found himself where? In the belly of a large fish. He found himself being thrown up by a fish. I don't know about y'all. It would have been a lot safer for him to have been in the will of God going to Nineveh. Our Father knows our needs. Guys, if you truly believe that he's sovereign, then why would we fret over whether God's going to provide our needs? If we truly believe that he's provider... We must put our faith in God's sovereignty into action. That when we give, when we serve, that we're not trying to, okay, I've got to manage this just right. What we need to do is just trust God. We need to say, Father, I'm going to listen to what you are calling me to do. And I'm going to let you be my provision. You know, I just had to add this in here because sometimes God has already provided, but yet we don't want to use it. And so we try to hold on to it. We think, God, you, you've got to provide this way, or this is the direction that you're going to provide. Have you all ever heard the story of a man who was lost at sea? And a boat came and he goes, no, God's got me. And then a helicopter came and he goes, hey, God's got me. Don't worry about it. God's going to save me. 
And then he died. And he went to heaven. He said, Lord, I thought you had me. He said, yeah, I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. Sometimes we over-spiritualize these things and we, we've got to recognize that, that God is our provider. And, and listen, I've had that in my life before. When I ran the Ironman, the, the, the short Ironman, the 70.3, I literally was there at a shop and I was looking at things that I needed so that I would live through the Ironman. Like literally, that I would live through it. And I said, you know what, I, I, I don't want to spend the money on it. Did I have the money? Sure, I had the money. But I was like, you know what? I'm very frugal. I'm not going to, I'll just, I'll just make it through the Iron Man without this. Praise God, I had a brother in Christ who paid for it, bought it, and I lived through the Iron Man and said, David, you got to learn that God's your provider and he's given you what you need. Don't try to hoard it. I was very convicted over that. You know, we see here this idea that our Father knows our needs. And then there's one last thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. We talked about this last week, didn't we? We talked about how Philippians chapter 4, 8 tells us to think on these things. You want your faith in God to grow? Meditate on His truths. Meditate on who He is. Meditate on His promises. It says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true. And then at the end it says dwell or think on these things. Do you want to know the answer to strengthening your faith? Dwell, abide, think on the truth. Don't dwell and abide and think on your circumstances constantly. Dwell, abide, and think on the truth. What is truth? God's word is truth. Jesus even said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Church, we must, if we want to grow in our faith, we must seek first the kingdom of God. We must think on God. And when I say think on God, I'm talking all the time. Like when we're done today, as you go home, keep thinking on God. Keep thinking on Him. You say, David, I, I want revival. I do too. I want revival to come corporately. But can I tell you, you want revival to come personally? Think on God constantly. Think on His truth constantly. Believe and trust in His truth. Meditate on His Word day and night. Be careful to obey it as it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Think on the truth and you will have personal revival. You'll find yourself growing in faith because your mind is saturated with who God is and your heart believes. Church, you want to see revival in your life? We must seek first the kingdom of God. We must seek first God. We must know His Word, believe His Word in context, and live out in action His Word. See, Philippians 4.8 Think on these things. is so powerful that even Paul in, uh, to the Ephesian saints wrote this prayer out. Here's what he said in Ephesians. He says this prayer. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love also for the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. 
He says, I pray that you would have a spirit of wisdom and knowledge of who God is. That's my prayer for you. Church, can I tell you that's my prayer for you and for me? That when we fall on our face and we say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I pray that you would enhance my understanding, my knowledge, my wisdom of who you are. He continues on. He says this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint, and the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Church, Paul is praying for the Ephesian saints that they would be saturated in God's word, that they would be saturated in the truth, that God's word would would be open to their heart and their mind of who he is so that they would walk every day in faith and not little faith, that they would walk every day as a child of God, not as the Gentiles walk. Church, you want to have personal revival? Meditate on this day and night. Let this word wash over you. Hide it in your heart daily. Psalm chapter 1, one of my favorite passages. Verse 2 and 3, it says this. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. And when he meditates on his law day and night, here's what happens. He'll be like a firmly planted tree by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaves do not wither and whatever he does prospers. Can I just tell you, leaves don't wither when the sun scorches down, when the circumstances of life hit, when the pain and suffering comes our way. It doesn't wither. Why? Because he has meditated day and night on God's law. He's meditated day and night on who God is and his promises and he's standing firm in the promises saying that God said it, I believe it and that's all that matters. Church, are we walking in faith? Are we thinking on the things of God? Are we dwelling and letting the promises of God wash over us? As I sat there and dwelt on this over the last several days, and and I'm telling you, this message is just as much for me as it is for each of you. Here's what I just began to rejoice in. Kind of what I did at the very beginning when we were sitting here worshiping. I start think about all of God's faithfulness in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then we sing a song that said he's the same God. So if we are dwelling on all that God did in his faithfulness in the Old Testament and New Testament, can I tell you, nothing has changed with God today. He's the same God. If he wants to, right now he can part the Red Sea. If he wants to, he can bring fire down on the Mount of Carmel right now. He's the same God. And so what I began to do, I simply began to think about the promises of God. Church, here's what I want to do in in closing today. I want us just to dwell on the promises of God. Miss Denise is going to come and play. And as she plays, I want us to dwell on the promises of God. And as we dwell on that, if you feel comfortable, there's no microphone, would you just shout that promise out for others to hear? Can I share with you one that's been on my heart? God will never leave me nor forsake me. 
When I get up here to preach on a Sunday morning, I say, Lord, I can't do it. But you've promised that you will not leave me nor forsake me. You will be the one who speaks in and through me. And Father, I stand on that promise. Can I give you another promise that I stand upon? Is that God's word will not return void. Mine will, but his won't. And so I proclaim God's truth. When I think about the painful situation that I, that I may be walking through at this day or that day, I say, God, you promised that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. 